Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 45, the man, the myth, the legend out of northeast of Lincoln, Nebraska, Ryan Reeder, the head boys basketball coach at Waverly High School and also heavily involved in the Lincoln Supreme Court Hoops AAU program, and we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But before we get to Coach Reader, uh, we obviously want to recognize our podcast sponsor, Cossack Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Uh, coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. You can check out their practice at CossackChiro.com. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or give them a call at 402-964-0300. Follow us. On Twitter, a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin. Uh, so be sure to follow us there. I've put out three book clubs in one week this week. So hopefully you folks have enjoyed those. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. So download, rate, review, give us a five-star review so we can get the word out, gain momentum. Again, the whole purpose of a pen and a napkin to ha- is to help coaches hone their craft. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Ryan Reeder, in, in quarantine, quarantined. Quarantine, that is my life right now. Um, I'm getting married here in about nine days. So with the madness that is going on of COVID, I decided to um, lock myself in my house here until a wedding. Um, really don't want to get a divorce before I get married. Are you really sure that your fiance just said, why don't you quarantine and I will just be able to live nine more days without you in my life in relative peace? Yeah, yeah, that's probably the complete opposite. She probably wants me to do all the wedding stuff. Oh. Well, one day on Sunday, fold napkins all day long. You folded napkins all day long? Napkins for the wedding, yep. Really? I'm in Kansas City. For about three days, came back, and I kind of felt bad that uh was not been helping out the wedding as much. So we sat down and folded about 350 napkins. Well, rolled them up and all that fun stuff. Well, wow, you you are just Mr. Mom and and super fiance <laughs> all at once. That's a good one. Yeah, you know, did you know, you know, three twenty, three twenty one, whatever it takes, you know, type yeah. of a thing. Um, well, good. Where's the? Uh, are you guys honeymooning? Right away? Um, no, our honeymoon is we decide to buy a house, too. So we move about three days after we get married. Oh, okay. So happy honeymoon to us. Um, got a house in Waverly. We live in Lincoln now. Uh-huh. Um, we found a house in Waverly, so it'll be kind of nice to be right by the high school. Oh, okay. So oh. That's a, we're going to wait to honeymoon until by next year, just so we, uh, we like to go to Mexico. So mm-hmm. Wait for things to calm down if I end up going then, So Yeah, and I, and I you know... Can't blame you there. Uh, if, if I were you, I would do the same thing. I mean, you know, because e- even if you go there, probably going to have to be quarantined. What are you going to do? You you, you want to enjoy yourself, you know, and that kind of goes with any sort of travel or vacation or anything like that. So wise decision, my friend. So, well, Coach Reader, uh, six years a head coach, two years as the girls head coach at Waverly, and then the last four years as the boys head coach. And we're going to get into that. Uh, type of stuff here in a bit, but uh, for the few people out there listening who aren't familiar with the legend of Ryan Reeder and his journey as a basketball coach, 
fill those two or three listeners in out of the hundreds of thousands that will be listening to this podcast. Uh, but no, just tell us about your journey, Ryan. Uh, you know, how'd you, how'd you end up where you're at? So right out of uh, high school, I kind of knew I wanted to get into coaching. It's a passion that uh, I kind of developed uh, with my high school coach, Rick Rast, and his assistant, Zach Foster, who's now the head coach of Adam Central. Um, this kind of saw their passion for the game, so I knew it was something I wanted to get into coaching-wise. So when I came to UNL, um, Rick Rath, uh got me a job with um, Troy Pritchard out at Malcolm. So all throughout college, I was a freshman coach and a junior high coach for Troy Pritchett for those four years. I uh, learned a ton off of Troy. Um, what a great dude. Um, it it kind of just fueled my passion. I knew I was in the right profession. So mm-hmm. after my four-year stint there, I got a job at Sandy Creek High School, which is uh, over by Hastings. It's a consolidated school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there for one year as a uh, boys JV coach and a special ed teacher and uh, knew I wanted to get back into Lincoln just in a Small town life didn't fit me anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, so I met Dwayne Bach um, out at Southwest. Uh, he was fortunate enough to give me the job as a freshman coach there. So I was a freshman coach for two years at Southwest, and then I moved up to be a JV coach and his varsity assistant for the four years after that. So I was at Southwest there for about six years. I uh, started applying for a lot of different jobs. Um, Two years before I took the Waverly Girls job, I applied for the boys job there and, and I did not get it, but they kept my name on file. So when the girls job opened up, they gave me a call to see if I was interested and I've never coached girls basketball before. So I kind of put some thought into it and I got to the point in my life that I was kind of just wanted to go be a head coach and see how all that knowledge I soaked up as an assistant could work out. So I decided to move to Waverly, um, taught there, coached there for the girls basketball for two years and then when Anthony Harms stepped down from being the boys coach there, um, I took over as the boys coach there for the last four years. So that's kind of my progression mm-hmm. of coaching high school basketball. Um, I got started in club basketball in about 2010, 2011-ish mm-hmm. um, with uh, the Cornhusker Shooting Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped develop their program with the boys there for four years, started recruiting kids, kind of built up that program. So I've been coaching. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Are, are you saying yeah. there's recruiting in AAU basketball? Yes, it is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> we, recruit, we recruit kids to come play for us. Oh, okay. I, I'm stunned. Oh, blown away, reader. Blown yeah, away. It, it is crazy how that works. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Uh, so it is um, with the with the shooting stars. I started making phone calls of people I knew and asking them to come play when. And my last year there, year number four, was actually our best year. Uh, we had a few kids out of Southwest, a couple out of Malcolm, um, ended up having a couple out of Waverly that year, um, ended up having a really good year that summer. So mm-hmm. that's how I kind of got started, my foot in the door with AAU ball of how that all works. And now uh, met Matt Cummer about six, seven years ago, and it's always coached for him. And then this past March, uh, he offered me a full-time position of being his right-hand man to work in Supreme, being his summer director, and also kind of just helping him out, organizing youth tournaments and scheduling and those things. So I started there uh, basically full-time, even though I was working for him in April and May, I officially started June 1st gotcha. working with him. So that's kind of how it all started for me with basketball. Okay. So you, you take uh... – you take the, the the girls' position at Waverly, yep. and you, you know 
definitely right place, right time. You you had a, a bunch of really good athletes and and long athletic kids. Uh, but what were uh, what were what were if any adjustments that you had to make uh, going from being a longtime boys basketball coach to stepping into the opposite gender? Uh, what were some things that you learned in that process? Um, well, the first thing I remember learning is we started, I knew we were pretty talented. We started out one and four that year. Um, I could tell something was just not right, uh, team chemistry wise. So I ended up doing some research behind the scenes and I found out there's a, a couple of girls that, um, weren't really getting along all that well. So one day I decided to cut short practice, um, right middle practice, cut it short. And we went to their classroom and I bought them all pizza and we played Pictionary. Mm-hmm. So with those girls that were not getting along, I'm not, either this kind of the typical high school girls. Um, so I put them all on one team and I put everyone else on one team. Mm-hmm. Um, had an awesome night of just team chemistry building. Uh, and then we kind of forged along after that. We went bowling, went to a couple of basketball games. There is a special needs school right outside of Waverly called the Villa Marie. Mm-hmm. So we went to the Villa Marie during Christmas time and worked with them one-on-one, um, just like doing things with uh, their Christmas events of, of wrapping presents and things like that. And then we brought them in and had kind of like a skill session with some of their kids. So just working a lot more team chemistry issues um, I spent with the girls and ended up working out that year. We won. After that day, we had Pictionary. We ended up winning 15 out of our next 18 games. Mm-hmm. So just... I learned with the girls, you have to get them to get along more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't matter what you know, X's and O's. Everyone's got to be on the same page. So then I transferred that into the boys of no matter what we do. I mean, team chemistry is number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, Marty, you can have a, a handful of, of dudes or dudettes that are, are pretty good, but they don't get along. You'll never find that true click. And you may win some games, but when push comes to shove or the nitty-gritty time of a basketball game, you got to have everyone on the same page. So I think the biggest thing I took out of girls is you've got to make sure they're all on the same page and they're seeing eye to eye with everything. And, and sometimes just letting them fence. They just want someone that listens to them, that really cares about them, and show that true compassion. And once you do that with a kiddo, they seem to do anything you ask out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you... Um, when you got off kind of that slow start, you, you said, you know, you were ready to be a head coach. You were ready to, uh, you know, see what you could do. You've worked with really, really good people. Did, did a little bit of self-doubt creep in there a little bit? Uh, unfortunately not. Uh, the start of that year, <laughs> no, well, really, because we were injured so bad. You did, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, you did You did have quite a few kids banged up. Yeah, were five starters out mm-hmm. um, for about three games, so I knew – uh, one game I remember playing against Blair is the first first win we had. I had four girls that were on JV um, end up playing heavy, heavy, heavy minutes for me that night. So I knew in the back of my mind that, okay, I just worked through it. And I'm not one to ever put self-doubt in. Um, what I tell the kiddos of mine, my players, is if you don't believe in yourself, watch anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have that own mentality of, you know what, this is who you are as a coach. It's going to work out. And just get back to the grind. Uh, we did switch some things up. I remember that year. We started out playing a lot of man-to-man defense. And Anthony Harms, a brilliant mind he is, he played a lot of 2-3 zone the previous years and had experience with it. So me being uh, not, not having an ego, just saying, you know what, let's forget playing man-to-man. Let's go to a 2-3 zone. 
and we started playing a matchup two three zone out of it and ended up working great for us those two years so uh specifically me as a coach i think you just got to find out what works for your kids mm-hmm. and have them buy into it 100 percent. it could be whatever you want it to be you just got to have that 100 percent buy-in with kids otherwise if you're trying to fake something they know it right away and they won't buy in and they're not buying what you're selling yeah We'll we'll get to your your prowess in the two three zone here in a bit, reader. So uh, we'll we'll call that the Jim Beheim section of the podcast here. So oh, I love it. yes, yes. So uh, he's probably got a poster of you somewhere in the facility in Syracuse, New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the opposite way around. <laughs> <laughs> you should uh, you should wear one of his plaid jackets from the seventies. Oh, that'd be smooth, wouldn't it? Yes, I'll yes. Pull that one out this year. There you go. That, that sounds good. See, I. I, I we're good for fashion tips as well. Yes, perfect. Um, so, so the so the boys' position opens up uh, at Waverly. There uh, was it a, a pretty simple decision because that seems to be where your comfort zone is, or was there a bit of tugging at the heartstrings there? Or, yeah, you know? it was. Uh, that was probably one of my hardest decisions to make in life. Um, I really grew attached to those girls a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this girls. No offense to the guys I coach by telling this all the time, girls listen. Yes. You can tell them one thing, and they're going to ask why you're doing it because they want to know the purpose of it. And once it makes sense to them, they're going to do it all the time. And that's a coach's dream, to be able to tell a kid something and they go do it right away. You can make so many adjustments right away and do things so quickly in a program where with some guys you have to beat it over their head three or four weeks until I finally see, oh, you're probably right, Coach. My way's not working. Let's finally fold and do what you want to do. Why do you think and that so is? Egos. 100% egos. Uh-huh. Um, girls are emotional. Not emotional. Girls deal with emotions, and guys are more ego-based. Um, so the girls, once they get that trust with emotion, they trust you. They're willing to do everything about you. Now you have to do them right. You have to be completely honest with them. Um, they can they can tell when you're feeding them full of BS. Mm-hmm. Um, with guys, they're just so testosterone boosted at that age. I think they know everything, rightfully so. We've been there. I remember being that age, and I was 17, 18, and I remember trying to tell my dad one thing. I was 100% wrong, and we pulled off alongside the road one day, and he just chewed my butt for about 45 minutes. So I was saying, you're a 16, 17-year-old kid. You don't know anything right now. You need to shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And that kind of hit strings with me um, at that age. I was like, oh, wow, maybe you're right. So now pulling that life lesson on the kids now, um, I'm okay with kids failing in my program. Sometimes they've got to learn the hard way of, you know what, your way's not working right now, is it? Let's try it this way because it's not working. We need to change something different. So once you're 100% honest and you're very transparent with kids, they seem to get it pretty easily. Mm -hmm. I had that kind of that same life lesson that I still carry with me, but it was with my mom. And, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've told this story on the pod before or not, but if I have, you know, excuse me. Uh, but something was going on, you know, I call it the, the teenage angst and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And she wasn't letting me do what I wanted to do or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And finally, she just said, she just looked at me dead in the eye and she said, I love you enough to tell you no. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, and and that has always been something that has stuck with me, 
with my teams, with my own kids, with my own children. I love you enough to tell you no, to not allow you to do whatever the heck it is you want to do, because I think this is what is right for you. And through my life experiences, I'm very confident this isn't what's right for you. And, and I think that's that, you know, that's a life lesson that I got from my mother at that time. And I've, you know, I very influenced by both, both of my parents, but that was a big one for me. You know, uh, it's kind of crazy how we grow up and how we take those life lessons and how we apply it to coaching. Um, I mean, you're around kids so much, um, being a high school coach or whatever it is you do, even youth coaches, you have a heavy influence on these kids. And once they get to trust you and they really know that you know what's best for them, it's awesome to see those relationships you develop through life lessons. Uh, I, we're making our, our wedding list, and I started counting out all these former players that I started inviting. And just stuff like that just means a lot to you when you get older of the relationships you still have with kids. Yeah. Um, 10 years down the road that's I mean, that's why a lot of us do what we do is try to develop young men or women into adults and that they can lead a successful life so so kind of going back to your question of if it was a hard decision yeah it was very much um, a very very hard decision to leave the girls but i knew i was a boys coach at heart mm-hmm. um, just my passion and how i could coach and get that fire um I knew it was my passion to get back to the boys, so I met with the AD and principal and expressed my interest in it, and with, luckily with the success I've had with the girls before that, um, I was lucky enough to get that boys position uh, mm-hmm. that year and then, then the last four years. So was, was it a pretty easy sell to the guys because they had seen the success that you had with the girls? Because yeah, yep, um, it, it was. Uh, I got to know some of those guys that year, the year before, and they were underclassmen, and they saw just the passion and the, the care I had for them. And we weren't overly talented the first couple years. Uh, and a part of it was just, you know, you're trying to establish the culture you want. And, and I know looking back at it, if I could do things different, I was lenient on a few things I shouldn't have been lenient on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more, what to me was I wanted to be, develop those relationships first, and I should have did that quickly, then more quickly than I did. Um, but I should have stuck to some of my guns, and the last two years we started to do that more and more, and now I'm starting to see the success um, that we've, we've had, especially last year with a young team, and ended up 13-10, and 10, and pushing Scott's bluff to the very end in a final, a district final game. So this is the lessons you learn in coaching. Sometimes you're not always right. And I'm the first to admit I was wrong. And I just learned from those experiences and you try to just grow from them. What were, a, what were a couple of, if you don't mind, what were a couple yeah. of things that you, that you wish you would have done differently or uh, been? Uh, attention to detail, 100%. Okay. Um, just a few things um, practice-wise, I wish I paid more attention, like running set plays. Um, you think kids are paying attention, and I'm sitting there coaching, and a kid may be working on his form shooting. Well, if I'm going through a set play and I'm explaining it, I need all 20 eyes, all 25 eyes, or many eyes you have. They need to be listening right then and there, not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Because if we're going through something that one kid has a question on, more than likely, he's not the only one that has a question on it. Mm-hmm. It's just like in a classroom, one kid raises his hand, asks a question, guarantee those four or five kids in that class that have that same question. So you got to reflect that back on a basketball court. If one kid asks a question about a set play or maybe how you're breaking a press or how you're pressing, how your footwork are, there's probably five or six kids that have that same that same question. Mm-hmm. So I just I kind of self-reflected on who I was as a coach, and I knew I needed to change that. Like I've got to pay more attention to detail and be way more demanding out of it and 
it's just it's just simple things that you don't realize that at the time you think you're doing the right thing but yeah looking back on it I knew that's something I wish I would have um, held them more accountable just paying attention to detail mm-hmm. so we kind of turned the page and now we're I'm very, very happy where we're at right now good do you um, you're you're a little bit different in in the coaching ranks in that your uh, your educational degree and and yeah. where you did when when you were teaching we'll get to that here in a second when you were teaching you were uh, in in special ed uh, yes. which is like I said that's really really unique um, what about teaching that uh, that curriculum uh, working with 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 students who have uh, different needs than the average student. Uh, what have you? What What did you learn from, or what have you learned from doing that for a long time? That maybe has made you a, a better basketball coach. Um, the two main things that stick out to me when you ask that question, Marty, is number one is just having patience with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet the mo- all the kids we work with really want to understand what we're saying, and most of the time they're trying their hardest. They sometimes they can't get the set play, mm-hmm. you know. So you have to find other ways that's number two is you have to find other ways to get kids to learn what you're trying to teach them maybe they are not a hands-on learner maybe they're a visual person but they have feet up on a board on a whiteboard or maybe you have to model it for them maybe you have to verbalize for it not every kid that we're working with right now learns all the same ways so we have to be creative on how we're coaching our kids or how we're teaching our kids and what we're trying to get to them um, I know there's two kids that come in mind right away that when we're going through stuff, they just quite weren't grasping the concepts of what we're doing. So after practice, I went through and I found clips on film of, of what it was I was trying to teach them. So once they were able to see it on a, in a game, what they were trying to do, they picked it up right away. But when I was trying to teach it to them and walk it through a practice, they weren't grasping it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think coaches have just got to be aware not all kids learn the same ways that we got to be kind of unique in our ways of, of how kids learn in that aspect but I think the biggest thing is just the patience mm-hmm. um, I mean I get riled up I'm energetic I like to yell I always tell kids listen to my message not how I'm saying but what I am saying but in the long run I'm just very patient with kids I know they're going to make mistakes I'm very forgiving just like the kids that are in need um, there's kids that struggle reading, so I'm not going to yell at them and be angry at them because they don't know how to read something. You just have to kind of bring them along slowly in progression. So uh, just been very blessed to work with the kids I've been able to work with in the classroom. Mm-hmm. They've taught me life lessons on how things, how everyone's not the same person. Yep. Uh, they have all their individual needs and just got to make sure in the coaching world I'm meeting all those individual needs as well. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you take that knowledge, you take all these things that you've done and, and your unique journey, and, and you, you had another difficult decision a couple of months ago where you decided to step away from the teaching full-time and, and go all in with the, with the AAU stuff, as you referred to earlier. Um, what's been, and, and I guess it's, it's really hard to say because uh, this is a completely new normal than what we've dealt with for 100 years or whatever, uh, but what have, what's been kind of the uh, the biggest changes um, working just you're just full time basketball now and and everything that you're doing is is hoops. Um, what's what's that shift been like and what's kind of some of the differences that you've seen in 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 things and, and some of the difference between coaching your your Waverly High School team and your AAU program? 
Um, I think it's just my passion. I can, I can honestly say more. I kind of found what I've, what I've been meant to be doing in life right now. I love um, just doing basketball full time. It's always been a dream of mine to have a job where I do nothing but basketball, and I can see why right now. And this is for this is take for today, for example. Um, there is a kid in our program that has been getting some power fives as a trout, and I've been working on a specific school for the last about six weeks of trying to get them to call me back. And it's a pretty big name program. Um, just trying in every way possible, just trying to email them, trying to find contacts for them, and just trying to be persistent on on a recruiting trail. And about ten minutes before I started this phone call, I got them to call back. So just those little things like that. I'm just trying to see these kids that are reaching their goals that want to play uh, next level basketball, whether that's NAIA, Division Two, Division One, and it's helping them grow um, as people uh, and as college basketball players or high school basketball players and get them to have that dream, to reach their dream and helping them assist it is just very rewarding. Um, okay. I can't, it's, it's awesome. Every day is it's something different. It's not. It's not the same thing, even though it may be on the computer, sending emails, mass emails to different college coaches. You never know who's going to call and what kind of conversation are you going to have with that coach that day. So just I've been very blessed the last two months of being able to do this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thank Matt Carmel a lot to allow this opportunity. So it's, it's a pretty awesome gig I have right now. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Um, do you... Um you know, most of the folks that I've talked to on this that are high school coaches are teachers within uh, the building. Now you're kind of shifting, and you see this maybe more so in smaller communities, uh, but you're no longer in the building with the kids, which next year won't be that big a deal because they, they, they're they used to seeing you as Mr. Reader uh, as, a, as a teacher. Uh, is there... Is there a, a, a not? A, I don't know if worry is the w- right word, but is there some thought about, well, what's it going to be like three, four years from now that uh, things might be a little bit different because you're not in that building with the kids seven or eight hours a day. They don't see you, even if, even if they don't have you as a teacher, but they see you walking in the hallway. They see you in the cafeteria, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, do you have any concerns or worries about maybe that, those relationships shifting and changing a little bit and, and have you thought ahead to how can I continue to have those close relationships, those positive relationships without being in the building with the kids? Yeah, um, 100%. I have zero worry um, about it, to be honest, uh, Marty. Um, I, so now I got you worrying? No, I have zero, <laughs> no, zero, I have zero percent yep. about it. Done. Um, I'm gonna also going to sub every once in a while in the building. Oh, okay. Uh, just to be able to have those, just for that reason, um, right there, because I still see the kids every once in a while. Um, I know I won't do it full time, I won't be busy, but there's some days where I'm able to go and sub once every couple of weeks just to show faces. And living in Waverly now, it'll be nice I can drop in, um, shop in during lunch and see the kids. Especially being heavily involved with Supreme. We have a lot of kids that play Supreme basketball. They play in our youth tournament, so every weekend I'll be there seeing kids play basketball and develop their relationships. And I'll make a, a forthrighted effort to make sure I have those relationships with kids. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. It's, it's never really crossed my mind. Is it? Are, are you not going to have those relationships? That's one thing I kind of strive for in my profession is make sure I have relationships with people and make sure they're positive relationships. So, mm-hmm. How nice is it to have, you know, you, you talked about replacing uh, 
Coach Harms um, as, as, as the head coach, but he's one of your assistants. He basically just decided to take a step back and whatever his reasons, that's, those are his reasons. We're not here to talk about that. Uh, but now you ha- also have Garrett Borchers on your staff. What's it like? Uh, how much easier is your job having two former head coaches that had some, some good success that uh, can help you uh, develop your players and develop your program? Yeah, um, I noticed it right from the start. And I'm going to throw out the name. Uh, there's a, our freshman coach, his name Andrew Broders, is, is a brilliant mind to huddle. Between those three guys as my assistants right now, I am probably the luckiest person in the state of Nebraska for assistant coaches. Uh, just when we start skill work right away, I can just see them right away just go work with kids right away. And I can almost be a CEO and build relationships while they're doing skill work with kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Just having that trust of assistant coaches that have been there, been through their grind, they know what it takes, uh, that they can sit there and just teach, and I don't micromanage. I let them do their thing, and I can sit there and kind of be the CEO of the program and be able to talk to kids and see what's going on and and build their relationships even more. And I know even this summer, just having those guys around in a summer league game, just bouncing ideas back and forth off each other, and I can't wait for the season to start just to have that knowledge mm-hmm. uh, behind um, everything. And I know specifically we've talked about having certain duties. I know Coach Borchers is going to look out more for the defense, and Coach Harms is going to spend more time with the offense. And I know Coach Broders is going to spend a lot of time scouting. So between those three doing their thing and I can overlook everything in general, it's just going to make my life um, a lot easier. Um, I'm a scoutaholic. I love to watch film on uh-huh. people and uh, spell to watch game films, have tendencies, break down what they like to do. So in those aspects, just so they can concentrate specifically on us and I can worry about the opponent more, I think we can take this to the next level. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. Just having those guys on board. Just feel, I really feel blessed right now yeah. in my life. Just the things that are going on. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, we're going to transition here, Reader. We're going to jump into our about approximately halfway through our pod. We go through the, the Don Meyer quote of the day, and if, if you want to comment on it, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, but today, the, the Don Meyer quote of the day is, the only thing that success should do is make you humble. Couldn't agree more. I thought you were going to say make you hungry. That's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, I agree a hundred percent. If you look at what we did yesterday, and it's still a big deal, and you really haven't done much today, that's kind of my philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you experience that success, you should keep grinding and grinding, and never be satisfied with what you have. Uh, there's a reason why some of the elites that we have, like a Tom Brady, a Michael Jordan, a Kobe Bryant, those type of guys that once they experience success, they have that taste in it. It's kind of like blood in the water for them. They just want it more and more. So, it's a great quote. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I think you know you win a you win a big game, and and the 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 rush that you have after that big win and just that energy it, it's it's uh, I I don't want to you know speak too loosely on this but it, it's 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 such an adrenaline rush it's it's like a drug that you just you just starve for it again and again and again you know and and you want that and you you want to push yourself to that level because it is such a great feeling and to see the looks on the the faces of your kids after those big wins is is so satisfying and but you also 
in order to do that, you have to stay humble. You have to strive for more because you know, know just as well as I do, reader, when you have success, then people start gunning for you even more. Yep, there is 100% truth to that. We kind of have a philosophy as well. On that way, really, you can enjoy your success tonight, but you got to move on the next day. Um, mm-hmm. That's the beauty of basketball. Win or lose, you usually play the next day. Yeah. You know, you have, a, you have a Friday night game. You can enjoy beating whoever you beat Friday night. But if you're not focused, ready to go Saturday night, you're going to, more than likely, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I love about the game of basketball. It's so day by day. Like, you've got to get over what you did yesterday and move on today. And that's, that's a real world kind of euphemism there. But if you're worried about what you did yesterday, you got to worry about what you're doing right now in life and not worry about the past. And I mean, if you focus on your day-to-day goals, your day-to-day objectives, you're going to be successful in the long run. So it's kind of preaching that same thing to our kids that you just can't worry about what you did yesterday. Yeah, I'm great. You beat so-and-so last night. That's awesome. But if you don't bring it today, you're going to get your butt kicked. Yep. You've got to have that change of focus right away. And that's what I truly love about basketball. And I've never coached football, but it would be hard for me to coach on a Friday night <laughs> and lose and have to wait a whole week. Yeah to go play again but yeah. yet, if you win I guess that extended as you said that extended um, adrenaline rush will go for a couple more days or in basketball you get it for a few hours you don't sleep at night because usually you're going to watch your film the one or two in the morning uh-huh. you're still kind of on that high and then you're right back at it the next day so basketball is such a joy to coach because of those things I would I would always tell my kids you know in, in, you know, enjoy it till your head hits the pillow and then yeah. And then you get up the next day, or if if you if you struggle, hey, you know what? Feel bad about it until your head hits the pillow, and the next day you got a chance to change it. You know, yep. and and that's the that's the thing that uh, I I've always told my kids. Um, I think when you use the word euphemism, I believe yep. that's the first time we've ever used the word euphemism. I see, I can't even say it. That's how intellectually superior you are to me, reader. <laughs> I think you did. I think you did. I'm fairly confident that you did. So, um, we, did. Well, yeah. <laughs> we might have to edit this portion out here. So, um, you know, you're talking about that football thing too, and and Terman, you know, Terman and I talk about this. Um, you know, he'll he'll say, you know, I I just, you know, the thing is, if you if you lose on Friday night in football, you know. You've got Saturday and Sunday. You don't. You don't have to teach the next day. And, and then you come in on Monday, and by Monday you're you're ready to move on or whatever. He goes, you know, I don't know how you guys do it in basketball where you play a game on Tuesday night. If you lose a tough game on Tuesday, I wouldn't be worth a crap teaching on Wednesday. And you know, that's interesting that you bring that up because that's something that that Matt and I talk about quite a bit as well. The the football the football side of it. But it's just like, um, what if you have a bad day at work? You know. Mm-hmm. Are you going to take that home with you that night? Are you going to bring it with you the next day? Mm-hmm. It's, it's again, like you said, once your head hits that pillow, you got to forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know I'm not perfect where I will, if we lose a game, we're not supposed to the next day, I'm going to be a little grouchy, but yet I try to give myself an hour or two, and I'll, I'm almost brainwashing myself when I wake up on the day if I'm in a bad mood. Like, you have an hour, you got to get out of it. Yeah. Like, I try so hard to be in a positive, energetic mood that. I allow myself that hour and kind of feel that anger or that angst or whatever it is that I'm feeling, but then I just kind of, you got to let it go. Yep. And, and that's, again, it's a beauty of basketball. You got to wake up and enjoy the day for what it is and move on no matter what happened the day before. Yeah. 
Well, let's let's talk about that moving on, and let's talk about making kids better here. Uh, skill development in the time of COVID here, and we all had to be a little bit creative. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. But obviously, and, and I've, I've known you for a while, Reader. I know you're you're all about the kids and making the kids better and that type of thing. Uh, and, and you said you you came up with a lot of new and interesting ways to help kids get better with their skills, with their skill work through your, uh, with, through your Supreme Court program there in Lincoln. Um, you know, just, just kind of, you know, I'm going to kind of turn the floor over to you here and, and let you roll. Uh, just, just talk to us about skill development and, and your important ideas and, and concepts that you try to emphasize. And, you know, I might throw in a question or two here as you're, as you're talking, but I'm, I'm just going to let you rip here. Um, and, and just kind of go through some of the stuff that you do. Yeah. Um, so during COVID, there's two things that, um, I kind of caught on doing. One was I started researching skill work because I knew I was going to start being a trainer. I wanted to make sure I knew exactly what I was talking about. Cause I knew we had some high level players that wanted to get in the gym eventually in May. And the other thing I developed was like some woodworking skills. So I tried to be productive during COVID. So going back to skills training, um, I started researching um, a couple NBA skills trainers. Um, I bought a website called Elite Guard Training. Um, if it, no one has that, I would. It's well worth your the purchase. It's pretty pricey, but it is so worth uh, buying it because just breaking down moves and footwork. So we started um, the first of May. We got approval from uh, the Lancaster County Health Department that we could start training. So I just started texting guys around the Lincoln area, uh, a Kel Jacobson, a Carter Glenn, um, just some pretty darn good basketball players in the area. And see if they wanted to get in the gym, they're all like, yes, let's get in the gym. So I started doing skills training. So the thing was, we only could have one person per court, or one person per hoop. Um, so we used two courts. We had four hoops, so I trained four guys at a time was our limit. Yep. So what, uh, my whole knowledge, I was trying to think of how can I um, train without being hands-on, without doing one-on-one work, without doing two-on-two, anything like that. So just started researching um, skill work and developed a method where we had an hour um, of, of skill work. Um, the first 10 minutes was all ball handling. Um, then we did 10 minutes of all like shooting, breaking down their shot. And then the next about 40 minutes, or the next half hour, we did individual moves. So I would research individual moves, um, pro hop, euro, up and under, did an awesome job step series, series um, that I learned uh, through Drew Henning. That was just phenomenal work. And then we spent the last 10 minutes of, I call it competitive shooting. So we just built it up where we'd always progress. So then kids will provide feedback for me. And I think that's the best thing you could do as a basketball coach um, in particular of get honest feedback. So I'd say on a scale of one to 10, did you learn something new on a scale of one to 10, how hard it was. So I knew right away when kids were saying, well, I didn't know um, this job step series, like a job step cross into a fade, a job step cross into a, um, step back jumper or doing step backs with a um, the strong foot doing step backs with a strong foot between the legs and a step back uh, behind the behind the back doing a step back reverse between the legs so so many different ways I didn't know how you could do moves so I started researching and researching and researching I spent about three hours of research per one hour workout because I want to know the ins and outs of the workout. So if a kid had questions, I knew exactly what the footwork was. Mm-hmm. So as we started progressing and the kids would say, well, this is a 10, I have no idea how it is. So then I knew, okay, I got them hooked. Um, I've got to keep in, uh, introducing new and new, new and new moves for these guys. 
Well, then they started telling me, well, you know what, this is some of the hardest workouts we've done because if you think about it, an hour nonstop of moving, constantly doing moves, ball handling, shooting, like imagine running the half court, shooting a three, running the half court, shooting a three, running the half court, doing a pull-up jumper, running the half court, doing a layup, and nonstop movement for an hour, these kids were spent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to develop a system of how could I, in an hour, get the most knowledge taught to these kids while also kind of kicking their rear ends about it. So just developed that system, and, and kids just ate it up where I got to work with, I think it was almost like 60 kids, 70 kids I was working with um, during that time out to the month of May and early part of June. So um, I really developed a passion for doing skills training. And honestly, I never really did it before that. Um, skills training, at, I mean, you do it as a high school coach, but when mm-hmm. you do all your basic moves, you know, as a post player, you did your drop step, you did your baby jumper, you did your up and under moves, you did a seal, you did maybe a little pro hop here and there in a Euro but not the intense um, progression you did as a true skills trainer. So you, you have the opportunity to put in that real attention to detail. Oh. And not only that, you could get um, immediate feedback. Where, where, where they're, they're, the, the, the kids you're working with are probably going to pick up on it quicker than yep. the average high school player. Yep, yep, you're yep. 100% correct. And... Um, the one thing I try to bring to, and I kind of have this philosophy in life, if you're going to do something, do it 100%. So I tried to bring the energy all the time with them. And it got to a point I couldn't do three in a row. I did two hours in the morning and two hours at night. Because if people are spending their money and, um, on me and they want a good product, mm-hmm. like I can't sit there and just watch and kind of be lethargic and not really do much. Yeah. Because you want to make sure they're getting the money's worth. So I tried to bring the energy and make sure. And the big thing I told them, and the kids can contest this, you've got to have the game reps. So when we'd go through it, we would go hard. Like you go really hard to this jab step up and under. Then you walk back to the cone and go hard again. You walk back to the cone and then go hard again. And we do it for 10 minutes and you get, you know, 30 some game reps and they were absolutely spent instead of going just jogging through the motion of a pull-up jumper, jogging through a motion of someone icing a screen and going behind the back for a jumper, just really developing their work habits of you've got to go game speed with it. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the things that we really kind of um, really worked on is the game speed and also the, the attention to details. Yeah. Uh, what was the um, What was the biggest piece of feedback that you got from the kids because sometimes we as coaches think well this is what the what i think it should be and this is what i think is is working well uh it it sounds like you had a lot of time and a lot of opportunity for uh individual conversations and getting feedback from kids what was uh, what were one or two things that you really took from those conversations that feedback that has really helped you out that 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 could help out all of us um, the first thing when I told the kids is that you have to be 100% honest with me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Um, sometimes I think people, when you get criticism, you get constructive criticism, you kind of take it to heart and you get defensive. The first thing I told the kids, I want your honest feedback. Like if this is a waste of your time, you need to let me know so I can make it harder. Or if it's, the workout's not hard enough, you have to make it so it's worth their while. So I think the first thing you've got to do as a person is get that honest feedback and be okay with it because you want to grow. So that's the first thing I learned is get them to give me honest feedback. And there was a couple times like 
the kids will say, Coach, that what probably wasn't your best workout. So what does that do? That motivated me to make sure the next time that I brought my A game that it was well worth their while. Mm-hmm. And, and then the second thing of just being able to have video evidence of what you're trying to teach. Mm-hmm. So with this website, Elite Guard Training, which hopefully I'll get some kickback from them. Um, well, so you... Is it 1.5 million that listen to this now? Uh, 1.35. We're, 1. we're hoping 5. to get to 1.5 here, but yeah, yeah. You, you can, uh, you can, uh, you probably need to get that kickback because did you, did you take uh, a little bit of that uh, money to pay for it out of the wedding fund here? Or, or? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, Marty. Um, I'm going to have to be emailing them here in a little bit. <laughs> Just because of that, we're going to have one less cake of beer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, so, this 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 keg of adult beverage sponsored by EliteGuardTraining.com. Perfect. They're, they're, so, so so with this Elite Guard, seriously, with this Elite Guard Training, they have a video breakdown of everything they do. Um, so going through, if there's something in particular that even I, there's some of the moves I'll be honest, I could not do. It's pretty high. It's a D1 to NBA level moves. I want to teach these guys that want to go on the next level some advanced moves. So the footwork was just a little off and I couldn't get them to do it. I would bring my laptop with them and I would show them the video evidence of how it was and then that's when it really took off. Okay. Um, that was probably the best thing I did as a trainer of having video evidence of it. Because I'm the first one to admit I don't know everything. If I don't know something, I'm going to go research it and I want to help you out with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I couldn't exactly so there's like I remember there's about five or six moves I couldn't really get um, and one was this like James Harden ripped through under a move that was real smooth I wanted to teach kids how to do it and when I did it even my footwork was off a little bit so I just bought my laptop and I showed them what it was and within minutes they were getting it right away um, someone like Kel Jacobson I saw him use it the other weekend and things like that when you try to teach kids something you see it um, I, I maybe had to move in his repertoire before but the little nuances that you're trying to teach kids and you see it in a game in the summer, this kind of brings that fruition to life of, wow, kind of what you're doing really matters with some of these kids because they're listening and being coached with it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really good. That's really good information, Ryan. And, and just I, I like that how, you know, you, you talked about the feedback and, and, and how you put that stuff together. Um, that's That's some outstanding information for our coaches. So... Um, let's, let's move on to, to something else near and dear to your heart. And again, somewhere, somewhere in our 1.35 million listeners, there's a, there's a very bald man in North central New York, uh, state of New York, who's weeping tears of joy as we start to discuss your beloved two, three zone and, uh, the, the Waverly two, three, um, no, but no, in all seriousness, it's, 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 it's a bear to attack and to, to get after it. And, and, and so how do you teach it? What are some things that you do? What's some base philosophies? What are you, what are you doing with that zone to, to make it so effective? Well, um, the first thing we like to do is put uh, ball pressure on top with our wings. We want to do what's called pin the sidelines. Um, so the person on top, I say if a wing has the ball, we want to pin him so he can't get a ball reversal. Um, of course, it happens sometimes, but what we're trying to do is try to isolate one-third of the floor which one team can attack. If you can eliminate the other two-thirds of the floor, I mean, it kind of helps out your defense as well. So the first thing we want to teach is to get that ball pressure on. Uh, the next thing you got to protect is the short corner. Um, that's any young listeners, any young coaches that are listening right now of the 1.35 Three seven million that are listening. The, the, 
best way I'm going to give it to you and it'll probably end up hurting me is attack the short corner in a zone on a, a two-three zone. So we've got to be able to defend the two-three zone. So the first thing is ball pressure. Next is how to defend that short corner because that's when most coaches want to attack. Uh-huh. So there's different ways you can shade that short corner. Um, you can bring the middle person over uh, to shade it over or if you have someone at high post and someone short corner and your middle person wants to go defend the high post, what we actually do sometimes is bring the opposite person in the bottom of the 2-3 zone and slide them all the way over to guard 2-3 zone and then the top, the opposite person on top of the 2-3 zone mm-hmm. will drop back and will protect it, skip pass. So the your nuance is we can, we can completely overload depending on how a team attacks us. Mm-hmm. And we have about every, we have different calls that we have, uh, for that, uh, just, just being able to play chess um, within the game of how teams want to attack you and how we want to um, counterattack, actually, mm-hmm. um, and how we want to guard. So uh, the next thing we progress to is how you want to shade the shooters. So we kind of have a, um, I like call them a red, yellow, um, red, yellow, green. Green means they can shoot lights out. Yellow's okay. Red means they want to get to the hole the whole time. So just depending on how shooters are shooting, we shade to them a lot. So we know uh, we play someone like a Brady Danielson back in New York. We want to shade to him completely uh, to make sure we knew he was at the whole time. So we were green on him constantly. Just making sure if he was on our shoot, it's going to be at least four feet behind the three-point line. Well, if you had someone that likes to drive the whole time, we're going to play off of you a little bit, but we're going to shade more towards the shooter that's right next to him. Mm-hmm. So we try to color coordinate the shooters and, and know what they're going to do um, shooting-wise. So those are kind of the, the few key concepts we go. Um, another thing is how you want to guard high post. Um, a very effective way to attack the high post is putting your best player at the high post. Um, mm-hmm. If you're playing against the zone and you want to attack it in a, in a very efficient way. You want to put your best play in the middle because what does that make a zone do? You have to collapse on it. Mm-hmm. So we have different ways how we want to collapse on that high post. Um, we can bring our middle person up and play them one-on-one. Now the thing when you play one-on-one, usually it's your tall post player. We're lucky enough to have a six-five kid that can move pretty well laterally and can stay with people. But what gets you in trouble is if you're playing one-on-one with a middle person at high post who's our best player, they can put a shooter in the corners. So when that guy drives, what does the bottom of two three zone want to do? They want to Collapse. pitch in, yep. and then they want to kick out for a three. So we have to work a lot on playing the gaps of the two three zone. We got to shade to that shooter again. So they put their best person on top of that two three zone. We're playing them straight up, but now we're playing. We're flattening out the two three zone on the bottom. We're playing the shooters. So we're saying, you know what? We're going to play one-on-one basketball in the middle. We're telling, telling our big guy in the middle just to keep down. Because we're thinking, well, let's play the law of percentages. What's a higher percentage shot? Is it a contested running layup or is it a wide-open three from a corner? You know, you just got to think of, in your mind, what is the percentages of certain individuals and what are you willing to give up in your defense? Mm-hmm. So we kind of do, luckily, uh, another shout-out to another company with Huddle Assist. Um, if you don't have that, I would recommend getting a of assist coaches. That will make your life way easier. It breaks down all the shooting percentages of every kid you play if you submit their games. Mm-hmm. So huddle assist, you can get instant data right away of this kid is a 42% three-point shooter from the left um, elbow. So we knew or from the left corner. So we know right away, okay, this kid shoots 42% from the left corner. We've got to guard him no matter what. But you know what? There's a kid that's um, shooting... 
17% from that wing, we don't have to guard them. So now we can shade our zone completely over to guard certain people. So that's what I like doing specifically is I'll break down um, individual data on kids. Okay. And I'll know where their hotspots are. So when parents think I'm yelling crazy things because I like to yell in the games is who I am, I'm yelling like a chess match of who's where. And our kids try to know, like, okay, this guy's a green, we got to know where he's at, but this guy's a red, we got to make sure we're not playing on him. Let's shade their shooters. Uh-huh. So it's doing your, a lot of homework behind the scenes to knowing where tendencies players have and then walking it through with the players. Now, another thing that coaches like to do is overload information to kids. Um, I just basically, we try to tell them this kid's a shooter, he's a green, this kid's not a shooter or red. So in the middle of a game, I can yell these things, and the kids right away know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so we're able to shade right away um, to certain people. So that's that's one thing. Doing homework will pay off in the long run for you. So. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, you know, do you ever? What's what situations are going to force you out of that that zone look, and and you know. What's what's the biggest things that you're looking for? We're going to kind of combine scouting with, with your with your zone here. Uh, how much of that is you know here's plan A, uh, but here's plan B and and you know plan C, you know that type of thing. What are what are indicators of we've got to make these adjustments within the game, the chess match that you're talking about? Yeah. Um, what really makes it tough is when a team has like three shooters. Mm-hmm. That's, so that's when we know we can defend when you have two shooters. <laughs> Um, we can shade different ways. When a team has three shooters, it, it makes it very, very hard. Um, but our, I mean, our plan A is let's always play two, three, and shade. But then we also, we kind of have a. I have a rule of thumb of a team hits like four out of five or five out of five. We need to switch things up. But what we do is we don't switch things up and go to a completely different zone. We're switching up where they're shooting from. Mm-hmm. So we may over. Now we're going to force you off that three point you're going to have to drive right now and go into our 6-5 guy in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we have we have different plans of attack, but if we're sold on our 2-3 zone, we've got to have multiple ways to defend certain people. So if they're stroking the ball from the three-point line, then we got to make sure we're guarding all the way out to the volleyball line. Now that's going to leave you open from the middle. So now we got to make sure we're not, the bottom two guys aren't pitching and we're giving up one or threes. Mm-hmm. And then... In hind, or another way to look at it, if we're getting in the post area, we got to be able to pinch different ways. So they have a 6 eight post player that we can't stop. We pinch in our bottom two guys in a 2-3 three, three zone. So we'll dig in on the post, and the top guy will rotate, and then the bottom guy will rotate to the top. So we have like a nice little triangular rotation that we work on as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, it just comes back to scouting and knowing your personnel and where you could be beat at, and then you've got to have that plan A and plan B or plan B and plan C in your back pocket and know when to do it. Yeah. But um, also in the game of basketball, you got to think as game of percentages, no team's going to shoot 80% the whole the whole time long. So if they shoot four or five to start, well, you know what? They can miss the next six or seven. That's not always a bad thing. You can get a run and get right back in the game. So it's also knowing the percentages and trust what you're doing. Do you do you kind of, with your zone, um, you know, tell your kids a, a, a couple kids hit a couple of shots, especially early in a game, but you know that, hey, that's not necessarily bad because the, the law of averages tells me that's kind of fool's, fool's gold with these guys. So in some ways you're like, 
yeah, that stinks, but I think in the long run this is going to work out even better for us. Uh, oh, 100%. Um, uh-huh. We tell our kids all the time, I don't know how many times out or how many times I called a timeout in the first quarter. We may be down. Because the truth be told, you can get some open looks early. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. skip the ball. You can bend the backside. You get an open three. Something's going to hit us. We could be down 12 to 6 or 12 to 4 and call a timeout. The same thing is, guys, we've seen this before. Uh-huh. This is, you know, just work through it. We may slap on our press. We may start trapping a little bit. Just do different things to get them out of their rhythm. Uh-huh. Um, but yet the kids just know right away, yo, we've been through this. We've been down by 10, and we've come back and won by more than 20 in the same game. Just keep with it. This, I mean, that's one thing. Uh, you got to use your timeouts. To me, I don't know if you, Marty, as a coach, my timeouts are gold. Yep. Uh, yep. They are gold. I mm-hmm. very rarely do I tell a kid to call a timeout. Yep. Like they don't have that privilege unless it's late in the game and they're getting trapped. And I tell them they can have a timeout. Yep. But my pet peeve is like early on in the game, and there's a scramble for a loose ball, and a kid t- calls a timeout just mm-hmm. to save a possession in the second quarter. Makes no I, sense I to me. Yeah, I, yep. I don't like that because they're gold to me. Yep. Um, I always got to have two timeouts in the last minute of a game because you never know when you're going to need them. I, um, I, yeah. That's kind of my rule of thumb. I want two in the last minute. Yep. Um, so if you have to use one early on, use it, prove your point right away, but then you try to save them and work through it. Especially mm-hmm. early on in the year, I think, I don't know how you are, Marty, um, I try to save them a little bit to make them work through the problem yep. early in the year. Yep. Um, because what's going to happen come February, we're at um, Aurora. We're down by 10 in the middle of the third quarter. We only have two timeouts left, and we need them in the fourth. Uh-huh. We'll be able to work through that problem. So those yep. those issues need to be solved in December, that kids trust themselves. that You know what? I, we can do this ourselves. We don't need coach to call a timeout and chew our butts yep. to get back into it. Sometimes you just got to have that trust in your team that they can work right back through that. So, so in saying that, you just – Kids just got to know that you know it's a game of runs. You can get up by twenty in a game, and all of a sudden you're down by five. And you don't even realize it. Yeah, um, again, it's the beauty of basketball. You just got to make sure you're an even keel all the time and just go with it. I try to like. I agree with you uh, on the timeout thing. Just real quick. Just again, different philosophies throwing it out there. Um, I I try to go. Kind of my thing is I want to go into the fourth quarter. We get we get five timeouts. I want to try and go into that fourth quarter with with four. That's kind of my goal within the game, and I always wa- I I don't want to be the the first one to call a timeout um, because I always feel like if you have to call a timeout, if you got to be the first one to call a timeout, that's the first indicator of that your team was not ready to play. Um, which means usually if I've got to call a timeout in the first quarter, it's usually because we're we're just not mentally ready to go and that bothers me more than anything because you know we gotta be ready to play and and i feel very confident and we've kind of sprinkled scouting in here i'm very confident that um especially after x amount of games we're gonna have a pretty good idea of what we're going to see and nothing should really take us by surprise in the first uh, eight to twelve minutes of a game, unless it's something really, really crazy. That's like, okay, we we've never seen that before, team. Uh, so let's get this figured out. So I always feel like if I've got to call a timeout in the first quarter of a game, it's it's because we're not ready to play. Otherwise, we otherwise we got to figure it out. And and now with with my new team, you know, we 
we have to build ourselves up because we we haven't had as much success. And so um, it might be a situation where I might be a little, little bit more liberal with our timeouts just because our kids have to get used to winning and, 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 and finding a way to get a couple of wins under our notches so they feel good about themselves. So I, I might have to change that some as I go into this, as I go into uh, things with my new program as well. So that might evolve a little bit as well. So, yeah, that's what that's a great point though about um, early on calling your timeouts. Um, I really like that. Uh, hey, we're all we all been there before. When you start a game, all of a sudden you all of a sudden get jumped, or they're playing a defense where you never seen before. You're like, okay, let's kind of do this on the fly at first. Mm-hmm. But it gets to a point where like, okay, you don't like how it's going, so you have to call that early timeout. It happens, so. Yeah, and and usually before I call a timeout, I'll probably sub in three or four or five people just to say, okay, well, you're not ready to play. Come over here and sit, and let's see if these three or four or five people are ready to play. And then if I've got to go to the – and then you kind of go to the timeout probably. And, and, I, and I get it. Not everybody has three, four, or five people that they can, that they can rotate – in at a time you know every team is every team is different some teams you only have seven players that you really feel comfortable with so maybe you need to use that timeout and regroup the troops or or you know it's again it's it's just so dependent on what you have but in a typical situation like i said i want to have four timeouts going into the fourth quarter i don't mind using one quarters one through three um but i want to use them strategically if i'm going to use my my one timeout I want to use it strategically sometimes at some point in the first three quarters and then go into that fourth quarter ready for um, whatever happens here in that in that last eight minutes of the ball game. Do you, uh, do you tell your kids not to call timeouts? Yes. Yep. Well, I, I, I should, you know, we talk about, hey, look, I'll give up a jump ball um, in the second quarter if, if, yep. if, you know, that type of a thing. Um or or stuff like that, or if there's if there's a scramble on the floor, um, you know, I'm just gonna let it play out. I'm just gonna let it go. I'll get I'll give up a 10 second call uh, before I call a timeout, just because okay, we we turned it over, but you know what? Now we get our defense set. Let's get a stop. You know that type of thing. What about all those coaches in the stands are yelling you to call a timeout though. You mean you don't listen to them? Oh, I don't hear anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear anything. Um, uh, honest, honestly, I, I hear very little. I don't know about you. I hear very little in the stands. I'm I'm pretty well locked in on what's yeah. going on out on the floor. Um, that I, I honestly get tunnel vision, and I really don't hear what's going on around me. Now, if they were playing like Ario Speedwagon in the background, I'd probably be singing along or something Start like that. Bit, yeah, exactly. It plays some air guitar, or air drums, you know. But uh, no, every I. Once in a while, every once in a while, you can hear something that'll make me chuckle. Yeah. Um, I try to enjoy the moment too, as well. Uh-huh. Uh, there's times I know that if it's a free throw, I'll just kind of look at the crowd and kind of enjoy what we're doing because we're pretty blessed. Yeah. Um, to have, you know, there, there's a certain atmosphere that you go about. And I always want to soak it up. Like I remember playing Elkhorn South. And just something about that gym that you just walk in and it's packed and it's loud. Just doing a free throw. I just remember looking up in the stands a few times. We go to Aurora on a Friday night and it's a youth night and it's absolutely jam packed, a couple thousand people, and just kind of soak in the atmosphere of high school basketball. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's pretty special what we get to do. Yeah. Have you uh, ever been at Elkhorn High, uh, the original Elkhorn High? 
and and they have the the high school and junior high band fill up that entire second deck. No, I'm not. Okay, they must we, just only did that on, to my old school. We play on a Saturday afternoon usually. Yeah, they must have just did that with us, and and there was literally like two hundred trumpets blasting down upon you, <laughs> you know. So um, yeah. I've been to a few rock and roll shows, and and you know that that was that was right there, not quite Metallica level, but uh, <laughs> but it was there. Uh, I said it wasn't quite Metallica, you know, um, but uh, that's another topic for another time. So, uh, hey, let's let's get back to that two three real quick. Um, what what are some drills that you uh, implement, uh, if you don't mind sharing, uh, to to help teach that and and shading and shifting over or uh, teaching your rotations that type of thing? Yeah. So the two main drills I talked to you about real quick. The first one is. We used to do like a three-on-three three drill with a bottom of the two-three zone, the middle guy, and then the top of the two-three zone, two-three zone, all on like strong side of where the ball's at. So we work on a guy in the corner offense throws the ball into the post. And we will work on pinching. So we'll go down, and that guy will pinch down, mm-hmm. and then we'll have the top guy rotate to the corner, and then we'll work on rotations out of it. So it's just a simple, simple three-man drill that those used to be able to go on the slide and they go on the pass. Mm-hmm. So many times you play a 2-3 zone, kids want to move when they a team catches the ball. So we're working on moving everything on the pass. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of to go along with that as well, we work a lot on skip passes. Mm-hmm. So again, we'll set up in like a 2-3 shell. A, two, three shell. a lot of people play that 4-on-4 four four man shell. Well, we do a 5-on-5, 2-3 zone um, shell. We'll throw skip passes, and we'll do what's called bumping. Uh-huh. So if there's a skip pass, and it's, we call it the gray zone, it's about six feet up from the corner. We just don't know who has it. It could be either the top man or it could be the corner. So we call that the gray area. We have to talk in the gray area. So we'll throw skip passes. We'll work on communication where the bottom guy will have it first, and the top guy will bump them off to go guard short corner. So we'll do that constantly with communication, saying bump, recover, bump, recover, bump, recover. And last year's group was by far the best we've had it where they were starting to click right away. If you could hear them in the game, bump, recover, bump, recover, just to make sure we're bumping that guy off and not two guys are guarding the ball, especially on the wing. If you're out two guys are guarding that wing, it leaves your short corner open usually. It uses a high post open. So we have to make sure we're bumping very efficiently. So if you're first introducing a 2-3 zone, that's one thing you've got to work on is the skip passes and build a bump. Because teams like to throw that skip pass and throw it to the short corner and go attack you. Gotcha, gotcha. How, how often do you guys work on closeouts? Uh, honestly, we spend, we do a lot of what's called three-on-three closeouts. The drill where we put three guys on the perimeter, one on a wing, one on top, one on a wing, and then we have three guys on the baseline. The guys on the baseline are on defense, and they throw it across from each other. And then you toss it to the guy on offense, and they reverse the ball around. And then you crisscross closeouts. Mm-hmm. So it's called three-on-three closeouts. We work that about every single day of closing out. So we don't do it particularly in, in a 2-3 zone. But we do it in station work mm-hmm. of always getting a hand up on a closeout. Now we also got to think of if we're in red, where we want that, we know that guy's going to drive right away. So we do a closeout like six feet away and chop our feet so I know that the guy's going to drive too. So it's different ways we can work on our closeouts. Gotcha. Um, let's wrap up. Let's talk a little scouting here and and what you kind of do, what your your method to your madness is. And we all do it differently. Uh, but but 
what do you do? Is, is it film? Is it live? Is it a mixture? What are you looking at? What are your keys? So forth and so on. Um, I always like to see one team in person uh, just to gauge um, how tall they are or you know what their quickness is on the court just to kind of see how they are. But other than that, I watch. Uh, I just, I'm a filmaholic. Um, I try to get... If we play someone in January, I at least get their 10 games previously. And so the beauty of Hull Assist, I can go through and fly through a game in 45 minutes of all the things I want to work on. So playing a 2-3 zone, first thing I'll work on is you try to see where they're getting their shots from. So you look at percentages, and I know, okay, um, Marty, you're, you're a 45% three, three-point shooter. Well, where is Why, thank you. down to? Yeah, man, I know you can stroke it. Oh, I, I, hey. Other other than my passing, rebounding, ball handling, and defense, I was a hell of a high school player. See, that's all you need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, uh, particularly, I just break it down to where is that person shooting the best shots from. Mm-hmm. So I'll break the game film down um, on their last seven to ten games. And I don't do it collectively. I do it game by game to see what kind of looks they're getting. Mm-hmm. So with Huddle Assist, you can go through it and look at all that person's game shots in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. So I know right away, okay, this guy's getting a lot of his shots are running this double stagger screen on the back side. Um, he's getting wide open threes on the right corner. That's where his shot. Or you know what? When he's in that left corner, he loves to pump fake and get to the rim the whole time. So I spend a lot of time in our 2-3 zone of looking at specifically what guys want to do. Um, then also I look at, so I'm watching film, say we play Elkhorn on a Friday night. I look at the last seven or ten games. If we'll play 2-3 zone, I'll quickly go through um, on shot attempts and see if anybody's playing um, zone defense against them. Mm-hmm. So you can go through a film in a matter of minutes hitting forward on shot after shot after shot. All of a sudden you see what is how they attack a 2-3 zone. So then I go down and I break everything they like to do down against a 2-3 zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I go back through and look at previous years to see if they did anything else against the 2-3 zones. So I, I do a lot of homework because I'm like you, Marty. I hate not being prepared. Yeah, uh, That's the worst feeling in the world when you go to in a game and you just don't feel prepared. So that's that's how I do it particularly, but I, I take a ton of notes. Uh, I try to watch anything in particular. Um, just so did I do anything out of timeouts of defensively that I like to do? A lot of teams like to travel for a pass, so we're aware of that. Uh, we run little counters off of if I know we call a timeout, we want to run a set. Well, I know this coach likes to trap first pass right away out of a, a timeout. We'll run a counter to it. Just little nuances throughout the game you got to be ready for. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Reader, any social media you want us to cue cue in on us, uh, either for Waverly or Supreme Court, anything you want anybody to to look at or follow? Um, Um, If you want to, all our um, uh, Lincoln Supreme one is under Supreme, as Lincoln underscore Supreme is our Twitter account. That's where we post most of our things for our basketball uh, for Lincoln Supreme. Again, it's Lincoln at Lincoln underscore Supreme. And then Waverly Basketball, I made, but this is a great tip for young coaches. If you ever get a new program and they have, they don't have a Twitter account, make their own boys basketball Twitter account or girls basketball Twitter account. I made the mistake of having my own Twitter account with the girls and I wasn't thinking 
and just move on to boys and use it as my boys. So I only have one account, it's my own personal account, but I use it for boys basketball. Um, so our high school account for Waverly Basketball at Ryan Reader 44. Um, I, I wish I would have changed that up, but you know what? You live and learn, and that's how you get better. So Yeah, um, well, but it would have been hard for you to shift those 1.75 million followers as well. Yeah, I see, I didn't want to say that. Ah. Um, you, that was supposed to be a secret. Yeah, well, <laughs> with, with 1.75 million people. So, uh, well, hey, Ryan, I, I appreciate it. Uh, first of all, and, 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 you know, hey, good luck with the wedding. I hope everything goes as, as well as it possibly ta- uh, as well as it possibly can in, in this time of COVID, and it's as as close as what you guys wanted pre-COVID uh, with everything and that you guys are able, able to uh, celebrate your big day uh, the way that you truly want to. Um, I appreciate that, Marty. You Thank know, you. Um, and, uh, you know, I just appreciate your time. You're, you're, you're building a, a heck of a thing over there at, at, at Waverly, and it, it sounds like you guys are on the brink of doing something really big. Uh, as far as the traditional high school level, and it, and it sounds like you got everything really moving in the right direction with your Supreme Court uh, program. So, uh, you know, just just keep it trucking, my friend. Keep it trucking. Yep, we, we, we call it the grind. Every day is the grind, and that's truly what we tell our kids. The only way you get better is keep grinding and keep grinding. So yep. uh, it's, it's a thrill right now. Awesome. Awesome for you. Well, hold the line real quick. I got a couple things I got to go through here. And we'll get everything wrapped up. Uh, again, we want to thank Ryan Reeder, our guest today, from Waverly High School and Lincoln Supreme uh, AAU program. Uh, again, we want to thank our, our sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. If you're in any need of chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Uh, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, download, rate, and review this pod. Uh, again, forward it out to anybody that might be interested in listening. We had a ton of great information here, including countless program plugs here and, and various sponsorships. Reader's got to pay for this wedding somehow, and I think he figured out a way to take care of everything. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, I, I digress. Uh, with a euphemism as well. So. <laughs> And then, uh, again, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coaches, as always, let's uh, pray for peace, let's stay safe, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.